start with your customer as always. Does your workforce represent your customers? Does your board represent your customers? Does your leadership represent your customers? Go from there. It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are Hello everyone, so glad you're back to listen to another episode of the Growth Hub podcast. Now, we recently got together with Harini Gokul, the head of customer success at Amazon Web Services, to talk about how to build scalable growth by focusing on talent acquisition, building credibility and customer collaboration. Harini has over 20 years of global business experience in big companies like IBM, Microsoft and and Amazon Web Services. She is laser focused on customer success and you will definitely hear that in the episode. Talking to Harini, we learned that you build credibility by acknowledging that as a company you don't have all the answers and growth starts from knowing your customers' customers. Whether you work in B2C or B2B, you will find our chat with Harini very insightful. So here we go. Enjoy episode 90 of the Growth Hub podcast with Harini Kogul from Amazon Web Services. All right. Hello, Harini, and welcome to the Growth Hub podcast. Hello. It's great to be here. It's, uh, we are so super happy to have you with us today, Harini. Um, you've been helping companies to find the path uh, to growth for a long time now. And you have great deal of experience. So um, maybe just cut to the chase and I'll ask you the first question that what do you think is the secret to scalable growth? I love that you got to the hard question right <laughs> over <laughs> <it>. <laughs> um, Let's talk about it. Let's get into it. No, I'm excited. I think um, the question you asked me is the right one, right? What is the key to not just growth, but scalable growth? And I think that's a distinction that hasn't quite been made as crisply as it should have in the past few years. Uh, we're certainly starting to see the emphasis on scale and efficiency now. So you will hear, you know, or given the macroeconomic climate we are in, you will hear the discussion about efficient growth and scalable growth. So I'll give you my take on it. For me, growth that is sustainable over a period of time, over a set of customers, over a set of uh, verticals or a set of geographies is scalable growth. Having the ability to rinse and repeat, whether it's a product, go to market, and I know your audience are marketers, so maybe this will resonate with them. So having um, rinse and repeat, go to market, product pricing strategies, customer success strategies, sales place, are ways to drive scalable growth. So when your customer, at the end of it, this is about your customer experience, right? So regardless of your customer being in Istanbul versus Singapore versus Seattle, Washington, or Helsinki, Finland, he, she, or they should have the exact same experience when you drive growth at scale. And they should be able to have a consistent experience, a programmatic experience, but at the same time, in a way that makes the most out of your resources internally. So when you think about your product management resources, your sales resources, your customer success resources, support, think about ways in which they can rinse and repeat what they do. If you have a product review, how can you package that in a way that becomes a solution that you could use across geos, across verticals, across customer segments. 
Similarly, if you have a mechanism to speak with customers in one vertical, would you expand that across all of them? So thinking about ways to rinse and repeat mechanisms to drive the same outcome predictably, consistently, efficiently is scalable growth. Um, actually, we've we've seen quite a lot of uh, technology companies, including SaaS companies, uh, lay off people in in recent months, and and we, especially in Finland, see a lot of people looking for for new jobs. So I'm wondering, in relation to your answer on scalable growth, do you think that these layoffs are a symptom of? that companies haven't necessarily gone on the scalable growth path? Or do you think it's a symptom of something else? Um, it's, it's many things, right? Each company is unique at the end of the day, their market position, their own value proposition, their competitive landscape and their roadmap, their future roadmap all drive their decisions on resourcing and talent. Uh, what I will say is it's important to be thoughtful and intentional about what you need, not just to serve customers today, but for the org you want to build in the future and then to invest appropriately. And I find that um, we have to, not everyone thinks about it that way, right? You're either over indexing on serving today's needs. And as a result, you may over hire. And then when that need is no longer there, you find yourself with resources you can no longer leverage. Um, what I would say, and, and I say this to startup founders and you know um, customers all the time is, there are two jobs to be done. There is a job to be done today. Today's job is to serve the customers you have today. And it's not an or, it's not a but, it's an and. You have to think about how you're building the organization of tomorrow. And as you do that, think about the fact that your businesses will grow and scale faster than your talent will. So you have to overhire, overhire from a capability perspective to have the right people in place. So when your business catches up, you have the right people in place, building the right mechanisms, strategies, playbooks for you. Um, but that is a hard debate to do when you're in the now. And I think folks go for the urgent versus the important. And then when the urgent is done, you go, what am I going to do with these people? Mm. So being a little intentional about the pieces of the puzzle you're putting together at the work at the workplace, uh, what capabilities you need and what you will need in 6, 18, 24 months from now is an important discussion to have with you and your board. Excellent. That this is actually a perfect uh, bridge to our to our next question because especially with SaaS companies, uh, we are familiar with them because we work with SaaS companies. But the focus is on you know renewal, attraction, and retention. It's it's the language of sales, and I think it's the language of now and the urgency that you were just talking about. But you also indicated in your answer, and and we've kind of understood uh, um, from you before that. Um, companies should also spend more effort on attracting the right talent and building that credibility and and knowing how to collaborate with with customers. So why do you think those are the aspects that companies should focus more on rather than the old language, if you excuse me, in quotation mark, old language of like renewal and retention and things like that? Yeah, um, I think it's a great question. It's, it's a very thoughtful question, right? How are you changing? Words matter, 
and what labels we call things and people and processes matter. And that's what you're talking about. And we think about things the way they are labeled. So if you think retention, it's a very inward looking process, right? It's a selfish thing. I'm going to do this to retain this customer, which means you may have behavior that is artificial. You may have inorganic things happen to make that retention number. Um, so the way I think about it is, is from the customer's perspective. And this may sound simple and this may sound obvious, but it is, it is how I think about, uh, it is how I think we should be. Uh, simple and obvious, and that's that's a good thing, right? And we start with our customers and talk about what they care about. So when I sit down with many of my customers, and they are, you know, many of them are B to B to C, B to B to B, B to C. I mean, they sort of the business models go all up and down the spectrum, which is fascinating. But most of them, really all of them, will say what I care about are my customers. Right, and that is really the starting point. Your customers care about their customers. Where, what do you think you should care about? <laughs> your their customers. Customer, customer right? Yeah. So you care about your customer's customer. Start there, work backwards, and do not care about the labeling, right? And say, if my customer wants to serve his, her, or their customer in this way, what can I do to enable that? What can I do to accelerate that journey? Because that's the other key. It's not just delivering on what you want, but how do you accelerate it, right? How do you deliver something faster, cheaper, more securely, more sustainably? That's the challenge for you in your role. And so take that and then say, let's work backwards from there. And then translate that into initiatives or roadmap. And then you, and then when the time comes before their contract expires, if that's the first time you're looking at it, then shame on you. But you know, build a mechanism that you've so every you have a team that's focused and thinking about these key events of the customer. And then understand what those milestones are. And if you are in touch with customer sentiment, if you're speaking with the right folks at the customer, if you're delivering and helping them innovate on these investments, then when your retention event happens, it should be a non-event. Okay, so um, we talked about um, a little bit about those th three things that companies should be uh, spending more time on. One of them is attracting right talent, and and I, I believe you're one of the believers in in companies finding the right right talent. So it's it's an it's a bit of a double edged sword in the sense that knowing how complex and costly attracting the right talent can be then how, what should companies do to actually get the best and the brightest? Like when we're thinking about scalable growth, then companies might be putting on the same line, you know, scalable growth and then the expenditure of finding the right talent. How do you balance those? And then what should companies be doing to get the best people? It's, it's a question I think about a lot. And um... I believe as a leader, as an as a executive, as a leader of leaders, whatever role you're in, um, getting the right people, the right builders in seat should be your job one, two, and three. If you have the right people in service of your customer, you're halfway through. But what does right look like, right? And I will contribute three things to this discussion. One, talent is everywhere, but opportunity is not. 
So I'll start by saying, take off your lenses. Um, our talent sits everywhere from Finland to Indonesia to everywhere in between. We have great smart people, but our opportunities to, con to contribute continue to stay concentrated in networks, in geographies, whether it's the Valley, whether it's uh, you know parts of Europe, right? Do you have to go to Berlin to have the biggest, fanciest startup? Not anymore, right? Um, so I would say we have to be, we have to level the playing field for talent and be have an opportunity for all talent to play a part. That's job one. Job two, so make your roles remote. Very easy way to do it is make all of your roles remote if they are not. And I know Europe is 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 probably more advanced than the US about it, but the one silver lining of COVID is we've seen an increase in hybrid and remote work, which has helped people to live where they want to and still contribute to our economies. That's one. The second piece is bet on the capabilities that you cannot teach someone. So anytime, you know, none of us are perfect, right? I have a lot of flaws. I'm constantly learning. But there are certain things I have that cannot be, how do I say, taught. Everybody has that, like the ability to make high judgment, um, the ability to have bias for action, as an example, right? The ability to learn and be curious, to be the ability to be self-critical and say, I don't smell like roses, right? And invite people to say, what could I be doing better? These are things and muscles that are important for a durable, talented hire. And I find that people pivot on things like experience. What did you do before? How can you replicate exactly what you did to do it now? Versus think about these capabilities that are actually going to be the most important determinants of success in a role. So my two cents, my, so that would be my second thing, which is capabilities. Think about, does this person have high judgment, right? Especially in a customer facing role, you're gonna be speaking with, you know, broad spectrum executives, you know, individual contributors, engineers, leaders. Can I have this person navigate this landscape with high judgment? To me, that's the single most important thing in an interview. If the person doesn't have high judgment, I stop right there, I'm done. The degrees don't matter, the resume doesn't matter, who you've worked for doesn't matter, right? Um, and I think it's important for each one of your customers listening to this to say, what do I need? What do my customers need? And so use that to create an anatomy of what good looks like for your talent, move beyond resume and degrees and what experience this person has. Um, and the third piece I will say is I'll repeat something I said before, overhire, right? Your businesses and your customer expectations are going to grow. And if you get people who can, who are just firefighting today, you will find yourself hiring and rehiring in rapid cycles. And that is the most expensive and cost prohibitive <laughs> thing you could do uh, to constant. And you will end up putting layers in your organization that slow you down, that take you farther away from the customer. So think big when you hire. So proactive um, hiring in a way. Yeah. What, yeah. what is your take on a kind of cultural fit? Because don't you yeah. like you have to have a cultural fit, but then again, you kind of have to have someone that keeps on challenging the way you do it and kind of what, what are your thoughts yeah. on that? I used to have a simpler response for that. Like, of course, yes. 
I now, <laughs> I think it's a more nuanced response where you need cultures that are safe, right? So where everybody can come in and feel like he, she, or they can contribute what they need to. Um, and you need folks who are a good fit with their culture, which is you need folks who will generally align with the anatomy because it is, and depending on the size of your organization, the amount of change you can bring about is, is a lot, right? Mm -hmm. So if you if you're in a smaller organization with this with then your ability and if you come in at the right role your opportunity to impact is higher but if you come into a big amazon or a microsoft and start to challenge culture you are going to be exhausted on day one mm. right so think about you know and and this is for maybe individuals who are interviewing or looking for jobs if you are not finding yourself comfortable with the people you're speaking with, the processes they have in place, it is likely not a great place for you. And I've got a, a question that is slightly, maybe it's attached to this, but slightly maybe off topic, but diversity and inclusion. Hmm. What, what's your take on that then, if you're kind of on top of this? Why? Because it's really a hot topic at the moment that everyone wants to be kind of open-minded and and be as you know respectful for every kind of people. Then, um, what what's your take on that? <laughs> I have many takes on it, but this is what I'll share. Um, yeah. Start with your customer as always. Mm. Does your workforce represent your customers? Mm, that is a good thing yes yes does your board represent your customers mm -hmm. does your leadership represent your customers go from there i love that <laughs> it sounds so simple when it's put yeah, like that that's my golden nugget from this <laughs> <laughs> thank you <laughs> you could of course dive deeper and i'm happy to because it's a subject very passionate Yes. and close to my heart. You know, I've been the only, only in many rooms. Um, and I have to say in some, and these are broad, I have to be careful because there could be broad generalizations. Mm -hmm. There are rooms um, and, and this is one reason why I'm, I feel I have, a, I, have a, I have a strong fondness for countries like Finland is the, there are rooms in which I felt completely accepted and embraced for who I was. Um, even though there were not many diverse people in those rooms, you know, they had not really seen many one like me, but they didn't underestimate me the minute they saw me. And so thank you to the good folks at Alto, if you're listening, you were an amazing, <laughs> amazing partner while I was still in Finland. And there are other places where even though they know exactly what I bring to the table, they continue to underestimate me because I don't look like them. I don't speak like them. Um, I don't dress like them, um, you know, I don't drink beer, you know, any one of those things. Um, so I think it's important to create environments and tables that are large enough for everyone because it's in service of your customer. And for leaders, create psychologically safe spaces. Um, I know if you think if we will, I'll probably mention this at the end, but Amy Edmondson and her work on psychological safety is something that I recommend everyone to read, uh, regardless of whether you're a leader or whether you're an individual contributor, because that is about creating the building blocks of an inclusive and diverse culture. Without that, you can talk all you want, have pretty PowerPoints, posters, and workshops. You're not going to achieve what you need to 
I, I think this is a topic that we could spend so many hours <laughs> just talking about. So, but um, I, I'm going to switch gears here for, for a minute. And uh, I want to talk about building credibility. That's one of the things that um, is one of the, I suppose you could say, you know, building blocks for scalable gl- growth. Uh, but building credibility or a company being credible, that can mean a whole lot of things. So from a co- growth perspective, what is credibility to you and how do you start building it or how do you go about building it as a company? What, what, what company is credible? <laughs> um, that is a loaded question. Again, that's <laughs> But I'll talk about what are the attributes that make a company and an organization credible, right? Um, for me, and, and again, credibility is defined differently, you know, depending on where you sit. But for me, here are some factors that make credibility. It's about understanding purpose and your mission and why you are where you are. I think that's job number one. If you think you are here to sell semiconductors, but people think you're here to sell something else, that that is a problem with credibility, but there's a problem with your purpose and mission and how you've communicated. So that's one. The second thing is to building a culture of of learning, right? Credibility comes when you acknowledge what you don't know. And to be open to learning and evolving and asking questions. So to me, a credible culture is a culture that encourages questions. Ask why, what, so what, right? And a culture that encourages that is a, is a culture that cares about credibility. So to me, those are sort of the two hallmarks. Be clear on mission and mission and purpose and create and foster a culture of learning. So a transparency as well. Yeah, transparency, you know, I very simply, as a person, for me, it's mean what you say and say what you mean. Hmm. Awesome. Um, okay. Um, well, those two, like we discussed the, um, the, the attracting the right talent and building the credibility. And then we have the third um, kind of um, point of growth, and that's the collaboration with your customers. And uh, this is something that I guess all of the companies already think that, hey, we, we already do that. Um, but there is probably a lot that they're not taking full advantage of. Um, would you agree with that? And what do you think that companies should be doing more? So, I mean, collaboration with customers is a very large spectrum of things, right? But I think if we start, like I said, with our customers, customers in mind, you will quickly identify opportunities to work together. And those can, for me, you should think about a big tent approach. That's what I will say, because your situation will change. But think about the biggest tent approach, which means more people, more bigger the problem, better the solution, right? So on a sliding scale, it's tempting, especially when things are complex and it's hard. You want to pick the smallest thing and make it super successful, right? Go the other way. Pick the biggest tent and look for that to establish trust and ownership with your customer. It could be that they're on a product launch that's struggling. How could you help with that? Is it having co-engineering, co-solutioning, 
Is it providing go-to-market support? Is it by sharing some of your customer references that could help with them? So sort of think about things more broadly and think every crisis is an opportunity versus a crisis and its escalation, you need to close on it. If there's a product feature that's not working, ask, why is it not working? Can we double click? What happened here? What was the use case? So engage and lean in. And I think co-solutioning with the customer is really the best way to collaborate because it gives them a better product or solution or a service than what they set out to achieve. You learn more about your customer, you've contributed, you've built a relationship and earned trust in a real way based on what you have shipped and delivered as opposed to talk. Um, and all of those are good mile markers. Um, this idea of thinking about your customer's customer, I, I love it and I think it it sounds great on a I, I, in an ideal situation. Yeah. I have a feeling that a lot of companies in their like day to day urgency and things need to happen and we need to get new clients and things like that. That thinking is probably lost or is easily lost. So I'm wondering what's your um, 10 cents on how can companies keep that in mind and who's responsible for keeping that in mind? What does that require from a company culture? Yeah. Um, because if it's a, I don't know, if it's a growth officer or something who's the only one thinking about it, it's probably not gonna come through. Uh, am I over generalizing here? No, I do think it's everybody's job, but so I'll say two things. You asked a few questions in there and I'll say, yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, no, no, that's okay because these are complex issues, right? So what I will say is why should we care about our customers and their customers, right? And I would say at the end of the day, do it for selfish reasons. Um, this In this economy where everyone's prioritizing, especially and making trade-offs, but any other time people and customers are constantly prioritizing. What do I spend my time on? What do I spend money on? What do I spend my valuable, these highly expensive resources on? If you align with their priorities, you just have a better chance of making it above the line. So it's as simple as that. It's from a selfish, can I get my job done perspective, you need to care about it. And things that impact their customers, right? I had a food delivery startup. Um, and they, you know, I don't know if I've shared the story with you, but they, they, there are a couple of different food delivery startups, all of which happened to my, maybe my customers and I love them all. Um, and one of them came to us with a problem that their uh, app, so if you, if you double click, you know, and you go through the menus on their apps, the dropdown was taking maybe a millisecond longer than their competitors dropdown. And that was getting people to switch from their app to their competitor's app. That is the problem they wanted to solve. They wanted to get people to sw stop switching. To stop switching would mean that the dropdown needs to be faster. And they said, that is what you can help us. So I could have gone in and pitched, you know, do AIML this and that and all of that. But you know what? They gave us the opening. It's what they cared about. The board cared about because it was X revenue. It was Y customers, Z sales. They and so we said, great, let's work, let's work on what that is. Turned out there was a great AIML solution required to fix it. Hmm. So in some ways, I don't, it is, I think it's important you just, the customer is there. They know their problems. Start there. You will be able to achieve everything and more that you want to. The second question you asked is who owns it? And I think it's an and answer, right? I feel like if everybody owns something, nobody owns anything. And I worry about that. 
But I also think we need centers of gravity for different things, right? So you need a technical center of gravity with like a solution engineering role who can advocate for you with the product team, right? You need an account sales center of gravity and you, then you need customer success to be connective tissue for everything else, to be growth. Um, and, and these roles are interchangeable, right? They, there's, it depends on where you are, but I would generally say if one person tries to do everything on behalf of a customer, you're likely going to fail. But if one person can be the orchestra conductor in an orchestra, right? Think about it that way, where you have different work streams and different accountability. So you have a support, you know, somebody who's working through a support escalation, somebody else who's working through a sales escalation, and you have a role in growth or customer success that's coordinating this to make sure that we sing in, in symphony and not in cacophony, that's valuable. That's awesome. Uh, well, uh, kind of thinking about that, do you actually have some kind of tools and frameworks that you use to get that kind of holistic view of your customers? Or customers, customers. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, multiple different things. I would say, you know, people should, there's many tools in a toolkit. Use ones that feel real and natural to you and the stage of the company you are at. Uh, but for every customer, I like to sit down and draw like a value map that addresses their customer's priorities. So we start there, right? And that value map is a shared accountability list among the internal teams. So they, their goal is not internal goals, their goal are the customer goals. But I have a mechanism, so that's a mechanism called the value map, which documents the customer priorities and then translates that by work stream into initiatives with the accountability matrix against it and milestones and dates, making it very real. If you aggregate them, then um, we have uh, multiple different mechanisms, survey mechanisms to get voice of the customer. I struggle with surveys because I think you should know what you want to know about your customer without them having to fill out five other questions. <laughs> um, you know, the product, I, I believe in instrumentation being breaked into the product, especially in the SaaS world, there should be no excuse to go back and ask a customer things that you could already see from their product usage. Um, I'm also a big believer, um, you know, so all of the data, like, you know, look at usage data, look at adoption data, look at um, what services they adopt as an example, and then supplement it with the anecdotes. And to me, the anecdotes come from forums like the Customer Advisory Board, where you bring together people, um, you know, representatives and, and have them speak with each other and you be a fly on the wall and listen to what they are saying and you get a lot on what they want and where they're going. Um, so I, I'm a big believer in sort of those high touch events supplemented by digital scale mechanisms like surveys and uh, and conversations like value maps. Thank you. Um, I love this talk about customers, customers, because in, in our line of work, we emphasize that um, marketing uh, should have a deep understanding of their customers like obviously we we believe that the company as a whole should understand their customers anyway but and but in for us it's it's obviously a marketing is what we work in and marketers are usually um, the people that we work with so what would be your advice to these marketers who are maybe in companies um, who are not necessarily yet 
diving that deeply into their customer's customer. And um, maybe these marketers are trying to sell the idea of knowing those customers uh, much better. And they're trying to sell that idea up the kind of the company hierarchy. What What's your advice for them? What should they be doing and how should they be making those arguments? Yeah, it's a good question, right? If you're in a culture that's not thinking about it, how do you sort of do the bottoms up? And that can yeah. be hard. What I would say, you know, I believe in the power of questions. So start by asking questions. What does good look like when we are done with this is one question to ask. What does then expand the question? Some the first response to this, to a question like this, will always be internal. You will achieve X percent growth internally. Great, awesome. Expand the question. What does good look like to the customer when we do this? That is the right place to start. And then people start to think, oh, well, let me think about it. Let me, you know, and that gets you thinking. So I think asking the question about what an outcome will look like for the customer when you're done with all of this activity is the right way to get people to focus on what the real goal should be. Once you have that, then you have the permission, so to speak, to work backwards. Once somebody helps you, you know, you help them get there, but really they think they're helping you. Um, once you have that vision and then you say, well, if that is where we want to go, let's think about what we're doing today. Are we doing X, Y, Z things? Are we solving this problem with the work streams we have in place? Are we solving that problem? Will the customer be a reference for us when we're done with this? Will they recommend us to another customer? Will they bring us to their board and talk about how we are partners with them? No? Well, how do we fix that? So to me, it's the powerful questions you ask, but you start with what good looks like for the customer when you're done with your journey. I like that instead of uh, just kind of like banging the truth to people's head, you know, we need to be doing this and we need mm. to be doing that. That never works because that often leads to a defense uh, reaction to it. But it's that kind of questioning to reach the light bulb moment in the other person's mind. So yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. And what's your experience that how many companies are actually, you know, working like this and implementing this? Kind You're of obviously thing. not working with every company in the world. Oh, we understand. No. But yes, we do understand <laughs> that, but, you know, get your point of view. I think we also have self-selection bias, right? Mm, you know, yes. I've been very fortunate to work for these amazing public companies that are customer obsessed. Um, and customers who work with us are attracted to that. So, you know, I'm, I, I see a certain view of the world. Um, I do think the question to ask is, will you be successful if you're not this way? And I think we are already seeing that. Mm -hmm. If you don't have a customer value proposition that resonates, if you don't have customers that are advocates and ambassadors for you, the next 24 months will tell you about it. Mm. That is really good. That's a wake-up call. It's a wake-up <laughs> call. Or it should be a wake-up call. Yeah. 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 Well, I actually have one question regarding that. This um, uh, kind of because our audience is essentially B two B SaaS marketers. So if you think about my people, my people, <laughs> my our people, our people, our people, our people, your are, people so. and my people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's meet uh, um, yeah so what do you think that kind of considering all the things that we've been talking um, last 
40 minutes or so. Uh, what is the key takeaway from this episode, in your opinion? Start with your customer's customer. Pull stop. <laughs> Perfect. Love that. It will work itself out. Excellent. We can go home now. <laughs> We're done. We're done. <laughs> this We're is this. efficient growth right here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but actually before we go yeah uh, got so we uh we have our traditional fast five questions we like to ask from our from our clients so uh i'm just gonna shoot them your way and just say whatever comes to your mind um Great. if it's you know publishable then we <laughs> will keep it in but <laughs> we can always edit yeah but okay so you ready let's go what book or books are you currently reading? Oh, um, climate change is top of mind for me. So I'm. This is the book on my, uh, on my uh, bedside table. Speed and Scale, uh, by John Doerr, the gentleman who founded one of the largest, uh, most prominent VCs in the Valley, and his work to uh, bring about uh, climate change in an accelerated fashion. So, I think this is recommended must have reading for everyone if you if you care about the world you live in and your future generations will live in go read speed and scale that is a high note check check um a SaaS company you love and why calendly oh <laughs> yes we love Calendly. as someone um who has gone the spectrum of having assistance um and in Europe, I, you know, sometimes you have multiple assistants. And um, um, Calendly is truly been the app that I thought I would never need, but love it, embrace it. It empowers me. It gives me control over my time. You know, time is my most valuable thing, right? And I have to be careful who I spend it with and what I spend it for. And Calendly gives that control to me. So I determine who I get to speak with who gets on my calendar and so if the calendly founder uh, i think it's tope atawano is listening you're too expensive for me to write you a check but know <laughs> that i love you <laughs> great um what's your favorite place to read about growth there are so many. I find like there is never one place, honestly, because my, I am a better person for hearing different perspectives. So I seek perspectives from from many, many different places, from newspapers. Um, you know, like I'm a good sort of Financial Times reader sort of person to blogs run by run from the valley. Um, the clouded the clouded Atlantic is one. There's so many that I source, but at the end of the day. Um, there is never one place to find all your answers. You have to look at at least eight different data points to source, to get to what you think good looks like for you. What is the most important growth metric? NRR, net retention revenue. It's the best way to understand, are you, are your customers being advocates and are you keeping them happy and are you adding more to the mix? It's not the best. It's the best we have right now. <laughs> okay. And finally, what is your best piece of advice for sauce marketers? <laughs> Did you say it already? Customer, you know it. 
That's it. Perfect. Excellent. Well, it's been great talking to you, Harini. Uh, we're super thankful that you actually had the time to uh, drop by. Very grateful. And we hope to see you in Finland yeah. at some point. So if you ever come across this way, shoot us a message. Or if you buy that summer cabbage here. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I'm very thankful. You know, thanks to all the good work you're doing. We need more voices like you to keep agitating and asking the right questions. So Kitos. And uh, I look forward to an invitation to Finland. Excellent. <laughs> it's Consider it an open invitation. Yes. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you. That's it. Thanks everyone for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Let's keep the conversation going on Twitter at SARS Growth Hub or LinkedIn at the SARS Growth Hub podcast. And if you don't want to miss the next episode, make sure you subscribe to Growth Hub on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud or YouTube.